the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you're joining us on this Thursday afternoon. And uh, yeah, man, the week is rolling along. It's good to be back together. Do you know what I was doing the other day? I was listening back to our podcast. You were. I was. I'm so and, proud of and you. And I'm telling you that, A, just to prove that I do every now and then. It doesn't really prove it. You just said that you did. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> proof. But you could, you could trust me. I, uh, I could. Yeah. But, but then I was listening back to the podcast, and sometimes I'm like, wow, I really go low to high, high to low a lot. Like, totally. Hey, everybody. <laughs> oh, you mean like in tone? Or, I thought yes. you meant like emotionally. No, no. I literally mean in my voice. It was like... <laughs> like uh, Sometimes I found, I forget what the word was, but there was one word where I went, like, I was totally different in the one word. I was like, calm down a little bit, man. See, my frustration is I feel like uh, I, I, I hone a little, like, inner valley girl sometimes. <laughs> it's a little like, you know, Brian, when you're listening back to the sermon on Sunday. And I, I don't, it's not that bad, but it's, it's close. It's close. Uh, I don't love it. I love the uh, the picture, the imagery there of your inner valley girl. That was great. <laughs> oh. It's not my proudest analogy. But <laughs> it is what it is. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Online at 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is that you find podcasts. Uh, Apple Store, uh, Google Play, wherever else. Apple Store? Isn't that what it's called? I think I'm right. I think, I think I'm right. Inconclusive. Text us at 68683. <laughs> Tell me if I'm right. Uh, 68683 is where you can text us. Type in CG uh, followed by the comment. Man, uh, you've probably been seeing all over the news, all over Facebook and Twitter right now. Uh, nationwide, there's been this uh, abortion debate. Feels like it's been ratcheted up on both sides right now. Yeah. Uh, feels like. Uh, both sides are really digging in. It's getting really inflammatory, and there feels like a cultural moment going on right now, um, where there's there's really going to be no middle ground. Right? There's there's people are kind of digging in right now. Think it might be heading towards the, the Supreme Court. I'm sure this is going to be a huge thing in the upcoming presidential election. Well, our state of Illinois jumped into the fray the yeah. other day. Yep. Uh, here's the headline from the Chicago Tribune. Illinois House passes sweeping abortion rights bill after emotional floor debate. It says the bill would repeal the Illinois abortion law of 1975 and its provisions that called for spousal consent, waiting periods, criminal penalties for physicians who perform abortions and other restrictions on facilities where abortions are performed. And so from both sides of the aisle, we know that we have a very democratic state here. Uh, A lot of our politicians are Democrats. And so they're saying that this is a response 
uh, to President Trump and his laws, the things that are being pushed and that they're trying to protect abortion rights in Illinois. So uh, Re- State Representative Kelly Cassidy, she is she is spearheading this law. And so she sponsored the bill. So let's listen to some of what she had to say. With the new Trump appointees to the Supreme Court and the federal courts across the country, we can no longer rely on bad law protected by federal injunctions. The RHA codifies our existing practices and treats abortion care just like any other health care. As attacks escalate around us, Illinois can respond with equal force. So there you got her side of the, of the story, right? It's a, uh, it's a medical procedure just like any other. We're protecting. We are going against Trump and all of his people. Uh, downstate Republican Representative a- Avery Bourne, who interestingly is pregnant, yeah. characterized the bill as a wide expansion. Uh, so let's listen a little bit to what she said. This bill will mean that for a woman at my stage in pregnancy, where the baby responds to his dad's voice as he reads him books at night, the woman could go to the facility. The baby is perfectly healthy. But if that woman says, based on my familial health, this is medically necessary, that is allowed. And you could just hear the emotion in her voice. She also went on to say this bill is a not about keeping abortion legal in Illinois. This is about a massive expansion that will impact viable babies. And that is wrong. So now it's right on our doorstep. You and I the other day were kind of like, man, I don't really want to talk about abortion very much anymore uh, in the short term here. But this is in our doorstep. This is you and I are not just radio hosts. We are pastors in the state of Illinois. Uh, And this is our state really jumping in and um, really uh, taking the side of we are going to expand abortion in our state, expand not just people's ability to get an abortion, but what is uh, under the umbrella of being legal. So I, I found this uh, this Twitter thread um, that I don't usually cite when it comes to topics this volatile and this sensitive. But for whatever reason, it just really resonated. It kind of went relatively viral. And I think you'll you'll understand why in a second. So so uh, it's it's a long thread, but I'll read the beginning and the end. She said, here are some experiences that have changed my views on abortion considerably. I grew up progressive, pro-choice all the way. I never considered this very much as I had been told this was the only moral conclusion and everyone in my bubble erred in the same direction. So, and then she goes on to list uh, like a dozen or so examples of people that she knows uh, personally and their own experience with abortion. And, um, and it, so she ends with a couple of statements. She said, when I have not known a woman in my life without some degree of psychological issues after aborting. We never discussed that growing up, and now I know that many of them suffer in secret. Mm. Two, I've never met someone who kept the child and then regretted it, even when they thought they really, really, really didn't want a kid. So while the law is a different conversation, these ripples need to more fully be expressed in the narrative. Also, pro-choice people need to stop with this idea that women should be proud of their abortions. None actually are. It's a horrible thing to have to deal with psychologically. Being honest about the effects is more beneficial to younger women and more support is needed there. And I I highly encourage you. Her her handle is uh, Rachel Bach nine on Twitter and read Mm. the actual stories because she's admitting she's, I come from a very progressive pro-choice background. That was sort of the water that I swam in and I'm realizing this conversation is way more, complicated than i ever thought and yep. so for it to come on our own doorsteps now like it it there's a real pit in my stomach i think in in seeing and i mean even um you know fairly objective 
uh, news organizations are like, wow, this goes way beyond yes. New York. So like Illinois and Vermont, you know, and Pritzker is talking about this becoming like a third trimester destination for abortions. Like even that language to me made me a little sick to my stomach. Yeah. Like we want to be that kind of. I don't know. I don't know. I, it just um, in some ways, it's like we want to be the oasis for those who are yeah, looking right. to get abortions to be a bastion. And so uh, what do you do? You're a pastor. I'm a pastor in this state. Yeah. What What is what is our response? What What can we do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, obviously, we're not going to get this law overturned. Maybe there's ways to do that. But like, what's the takeaway? What are we trying to urge people to do? Is it that we preach on it? Is it we just talk more about it? Is it what what are I guess I'm at a little bit of a loss of of where to go from here. Yeah, I, like any conversation, I don't I'm never comfortable making some blanket suggestion that mm-hmm. every church now needs to do this or every pastor needs to now do this. But I do think um maybe not surprisingly our our first response needs to be to pray and grieve, mm-hmm. you know. I think when we skip over that to like what are the solutions as a church uh, we really miss out on like listening to the whispers of the Holy Spirit in really trying times, but I think it is. It's 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 just as important now as ever that we're intentional about caring for single mamas and being willing to come alongside adoption agencies and providing literature and providing insight and providing counseling and and maybe honestly that means moving some budget stuff around yeah. to actually help get some of these. Uh, conversations in the forefront of the people that need to have them. You yeah. know, I think a lot of times this information feels like it's so uh, distant or hard to find. And, and sometimes churches, um, you know, can have a position, you know, in a vacuum, but not actually put any dollars towards mm-hmm. actually help working towards a solution. But I think it has to, it has to involve an incarnational coming alongside one another. And if we're not willing to do that, um, it, it makes uh, our, it makes our, um, pontificating seemed disingenuous exactly. at the very at the very least i think and i think it has to it has to take on flesh and blood for us too and that's a great uh great segue into what we're going to talk about next uh alabama one of the states that is most restrictive against abortions now something interesting came out of alabama uh about a trend going on there that i think gets at exactly what you're talking about we're going mm-hmm. to touch on that next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited to have you with us today. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, online at 1160hope.com. Or you can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG and then whatever comment, question, pun, uh, joke, whatever it is you have for us, you can put it. Uh, right there. So uh, last segment, uh, we kind of tackled the the heady, uh, heavy, I should say, the heavy subject of this new abortion law in Illinois. And both of us, I think, just acknowledging that it just grieves us that it's um, that 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 this is a hill to die on for us as Christians and that that um, that that there's something really evil going on in our state in particular here. Uh, so we need to be praying and we need to be acting. Uh, and that becomes a good segue uh, into some uh, statistics that came out of Alabama recently. So Alabama um, recently passed one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country. And they're kind of at the forefront on the other side. If, if Illinois is on the forefront of making abortions accessible and easy, 
then Alabama is kind of on the other side, trying to make them a lot more restrictive. And uh, to the point, if you remember last week, we were talking Pat Robertson, the televangelist, even called their law extreme. <laughs> when, yeah, right. When Pat Robertson's calling your law extreme, uh, it's got something to it. So uh, it's got something to it. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Did that make sense? Yeah, no, so I, it made sense. Numbers came out this week out of Alabama about. Uh, how many Alabama families adopted children from their foster care system. And so one of the things that's often thrown at uh, anti-abortion pro-life people is, well, what are you going to do about it? Right? Like, what are you going to do to help moms? And you and I have even said that here, like we got to get beyond the, uh, the picketing, all of it's important, but, but get to the point where we're creating a culture where single moms or people in poverty or whatever, who are most likely to have abortions uh, will feel the ability not to. And, and so Alabama is obviously at the forefront of that. And now listen to these numbers that came out. And now these predate the law. So these go back to 2018. Um, but last week, the governor, Governor Kay Ivey, announced that 710 children were adopted out of the foster care system. This broke the previous record of 676 back in 2009 and was up from 509 in 2017 and 502 in 2016. And there's something uh, really encouraging about this because you even yourself said it like the church or we as Christ followers need to be thinking about how can we put our faith into action and our love into action and become part of the solution to this problem of abortion. And it already seems like even before they pass this law, the people of Alabama are kind of doing that. Yeah. And I think um, not to, rain on everyone's parade there's still 6400 children currently in foster care in alabama yep so you know while those numbers i think are are most certainly worth celebrating like that's that's fantastic the disparity between 700 some adopted and 6400 in foster care mm-hmm. is still staggering and that's just one state yep so i don't have in front of me what the what the national statistics are um again that's a step in the right direction but there is there's a big big gap there, and I I wonder if you know one do we realize how great the need actually is? Two do we have any idea how to start? You know, as as churches or Christ followers, when we think of, I, I think it's easy to anecdotally say like yeah yeah we're for that. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, one of the criticisms that I will often hear if someone says like hey pro life means you know being more than just pro birth. Most pro life people I know are like yeah we are pro all of life. Right. And my follow up question usually is, okay, how? Yep. How are you it's one it's one thing to be philosophically pro life, you know, cradle to coffin. I think that's that's great as a starting point. Um but you know, like not to proof text, but here I go when Jesus says, uh, where your treasure is there your heart will be mm-hmm. are are we putting our money where our mouth is? You know, like it's one thing even Alabama feels like so distant yep. just as a state to us. Like what are ways that Ian and Brian are like stepping faithfully towards like alleviating some of the systems and structures that often leave particularly single moms in these circumstances. Um, do we spend time and resources and real estate to, to actually work towards a solution or is right. it something that we sort of, you know, it's, I mean, we have microphones in front of our face. It's, mm-hmm. it is easy for us to sit here and say, like, yeah, this is, we need more of this. <laughs> and then we, you know, unplug and we go home and I'm like, okay, well, how are we doing that? Yeah. Like it's, that's a, that's a convicting question that I feel like I, I never, I never have a great answer to. Yeah. I remember my wife and I once having, not even once, uh, a couple years ago, having some serious discussions about 
what would it look like to adopt and to, to personalize it like that was really overwhelming. We had three little kids at the time. Yeah, right, right. And it was kind of like, but our church did stuff with safe families and other stuff that was just pretty eye opening. Like, yep. okay, yep. what this will require. And um, yeah, but I, I think you make a good point that we all need to uh, wrestle with how, even in a small way, can I be part of the solution? So maybe it's not, I, maybe my family's not at a good spot to adopt, but it doesn't mean I can't. Uh, support somebody who is adopting or uh, raise or go, uh, you know, serve at a, at a women's shelter or whatever else it might be, or give money to caring network, which is a crisis pregnancy center. Um, And and then we, as churches, where are we putting our money? You know, if, uh, uh, if, if these abortion laws are are that um, troubling to us, which they are, and they should be, then what are we going to do? You know, what, what can we do uh, to help? Um, alleviate that problem because I, like you said, I, I will guarantee you the foster care system in Illinois has got to be a lot bigger uh, than in Alabama. Now I did just read this, that of that number 6,400, 70% get returned to their biological family. So that does cut that number a lot, but your point is still remains. There's still a lot of kids out there uh, that need adopting, but even not more than that, but even besides that, there's a lot of moms out there, pregnant moms who need a lot of loving. Yeah. And, and so you mentioned it just uh, in case anyone has not heard the name before safe families, you can go to safe dash families.org. There's a ton of information. We're a safe families church. Are you? And we, yeah. And my last church was too. So mm-hmm. I, I've been following safe families for a long time. A brilliant, brilliant organization. I can't encourage you enough. Safe-families.org. Just and the go to the website. That, check the it out. The way Safe Families works, it's not an adoption, although sometimes adoptions happen out of Safe right, Families. Right, But it's sometimes moms and dads need to, for whatever reason, their kids get taken out of their home for a little while. Yeah, apparently and these are clean, places where they, they get, yeah. They, even an injury. Sometimes there's no yep. like abuse or drugs yep. at all. They're just like, hey, we broke our legs and we you know, can't work right now. And I did a quick Google search, by the way. Uh, there are currently 17,920 children in foster care in Illinois. 3,347 of them are waiting for adoptive families. Wow. More than 3,000 children waiting for adoptive families in Illinois alone. Wow. Right? That's That's crazy, man. Wow, is that what I imagine? I mean, maybe a lot of people are thinking. So, yeah. so what do we do? What do we do with that number? Yep. <laughs> right, yep. right here in our own state. Yep, it is. <laughs> that is staggering. That should that is staggering. And and some of you, you feel God's pull to go adopt. But if you don't, if like you're like that's not a good spot in my life, I can't do that. You're not off the hook, right? Like hmm. there are things you can be doing. So, say families was one uh, crisis pregnancy stuff, but also. Um, highlighting it. And then as you see people, you know, like if I know you're not at the stage to do this now, but if you and your wife are like, yeah, you know what? We're going to adopt somebody yeah, out of this foster. Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing going on. We'll do it for the show. <laughs> do uh, it for the show. Uh, then, you know, how could my wife and I come alongside you guys and yeah. or somebody else in our life and be like, hey, we know we're not the ones adopting. You are, but we want to help you. We're going to be part of your tribe to, so that you can do this. You can always be a part of the solution. Well, my buddy also started an organization called Love Moves Us, and that's lovemoves.us. Uh, and they come alongside families who have adopted kids and are feeling isolated, feeling alone. Oh, feeling wow. like they don't know what they're doing. So they've started these like networks all across Chicagoland. That's uh, lovemoves.us. Really brilliant organization awesome. meant to come alongside families who are like, we took the dive and we're feeling overwhelmed or things aren't going the way that we thought they would. And it's like just 
being the hands and feet yeah. of Christ to these, oh, these that's families cool. that are in, in need of the help. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's some great resources for you to check out. I guess what we want to tell you is as you are angry and grieved by these abortion laws in our state, uh, take the next step to think, how can I be part of the solution? What can I as an individual, what can we as a church, uh, how can we help turn the tide? What can we do to love people uh, and support these moms that choose to have these babies? Uh, so those very important kind of next step off of this conversation. Uh, well, coming up next, we are going to change subjects a little bit and talk about uh, a spectacular thing that happened in America's Got Talent the other night. Uh, some of you may have seen this, but uh, just a heartwarming story that we're going to talk about next here on The Common Good. Name 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. Name 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're grateful to have you joining us today. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Uh, or you can find old shows of ours at 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you get your podcast. Subscribe, uh, rate it, give leave a comment, and uh, you can listen to it at half speed, full speed, two times speed. Half speed. Half speed. That <laughs> would be listen awesome. To no. Gosh. <laughs> what would you and I sound like on half well, speed? I know what I'm doing on the drive home now. <laughs> half speed. <laughs> that would be awesome. I don't even know if it's a thing, first of all. Is it, it a thing? Is, yeah. When would you ever listen to something on half speed, do you think? Someone that just talks way too quick, or I don't know. You ever listen to preachers or podcasts? Like, I could I could stand to hear this a little slower. No. That's interesting. Now that you, well, now that you've pointed it out, I probably will think of it. And if I can't think of anybody, it probably means I'm that person. <laughs> we probably both are, to be honest. Uh, that is the weird thing about hearing us back when we listen to the podcast. Like, I said the thing I'm listening to, and I still can't understand <laughs> Pull it together, Simpkins. It's like really humbling. I had this moment listening to the podcast that I was like, is that really what my laugh sounds like? (laughs) Yeah, mine goes like real flipper dolphin high sometimes. I'm like, okay, that's we got to correct that. Uh, There is something. something. So my family loves my kids for some reason are into like uh, reality television shows. Like all the ones we all watched in 10 years ago. Amazing Race, Survivor, American Idol, The Voice. Uh, one of them that our whole family <laughs> likes watching together is America's Got Talent. So, sure. are, you, are you a fan? America's Got Talent. I mean, to define fan, do you watch it? I do watch <laughs> it. My wife really loves it, Does and she? I really love my wife, and I love spending time with her. So, by proxy, I probably I probably like it more than I let on. But she was definitely the um, she was the, the driver. She was the driver. Yeah, your description. She was the gateway. Your description of that is exactly how I get get roped into watching every HGTV show oh, that yeah. we ever watch. Totally. We just finished <laughs> Fixer Upper. So I mean, uh, <laughs> it doesn't work in my house the same way with sports, though. My wife's not. She's Doesn't never like, work both ways. Because I love you, I'm going to watch Sports <laughs> Center with you tonight. <laughs> you just outed your wife on the show. She, oh man. She, if she's listening right now, she's going, "Yup, yep. true story." <laughs> I remember one time. Uh, she said, I because this before we had kids, she's like, I'm going to start trying to watch football with you this year. And I was like, really? Okay, Aww. this is great. And she made it like the first half of the first game. And I could see her getting fidgety. I'm like, thank you for trying. <laughs> and, oh, good miss. You let her off the hook. I you did. saw that. She's like, I'm not enjoying this. <laughs> totally. <Sweetie. laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but on America's Got Talent uh, the other night, if you know the way the America's Got Talent works, it's it's any people can do anything. They can sing. Right. They can do magic. They can there's dance routines. There's groups. There's 
sometimes they throw knives at each other for it's some crazy reason. sometimes and that's why my kids like it we not the knives the but kni- just <laughs> the many different things that people do right it's not just a singing contest i mean the girl that won two years ago was the most amazing ventriloquist i've ever seen oh i remember her. stuff yeah. like yeah. that uh but last night was one of the biggest tearjerker moments. Oh, so uh, so an, a blind autistic 20 year old uh, young man was brought out on stage uh, by his mom, just standing in front of a piano. Uh, and here's how she introduced her son. Who are you, miss? Who are you? I'm mom. Oh, I'm hi, Tina mom. Lee. Hi, hi Tina. Hi, how are you? So what are you going to do here for us today? I'm going to sing a song for you on the piano. I love it. Tina, tell us a little bit about Cody. Cody is blind and autistic. Wow. We found out that he loved music really early on. He listened and his eyes just went huge. And he started singing. And that's when I just, I was in tears. Because that's when I realized, oh my gosh, he's an entertainer. So, yeah. Through music and performing, he was able to withstand living in this world. Because when you're autistic, it's really hard Mm -hmm. to do what everybody else does. It actually has saved his life playing music. Wow. That's awesome. So then when you're watching the show... You're like, I hope this kid's good or kid, twenty year old. Like yeah, that's right. a great story, but I hope Yeah. I hope the payoff's here. So if you're ready to cry, uh, <laughs> let's listen to Cody when he starts performing. I mean, just stunning. And so the place so erupts uh, and not to spoil it, but they all the, the judges are all cheering. Gabrielle Union, who's a judge for the first time now, gives him the golden buzzer, which puts him all the way into the yeah. final. And people are just weeping. I'm watching and I'm weeping. Everyone, same, you can't same. not cry when you see this. Go look online. You can find it everywhere. Everyone's doing it right now. Everyone's yeah. sharing it right now. But besides just being an emotional like, oh, my gosh, what was the what's the takeaway for us on this? I, I think. um Rather than the word takeaway, I'm going to use the word response. Sure. Because I think sometimes takeaway is like, okay, how can I, for me, takeaway is often like, how can I use this in a sermon? Or how can uh, I, okay. for me, like the response was um, first at some level realizing my own proclivity to judge people based on my assessment of them. Yep. Um, and to be so blown away in that environment. But like, I don't, I mean, cards on the table was not expecting that performance and you need to actually see it because they mm-hmm. like lead him to the piano bench and, and there's, you know, there's a tech there and she like kneels down low. She's like, there's going to be a bunch of cameras on you. This is your moment. Mm-hmm. And he like blows on the microphone so that he knows where it's at. And the whole, th- the whole thing is so tense. And then he just, 
blows everyone's mind. The second thing, though, sitting on the couch watching with my wife and watching her sort of weep, you know, because uh, she worked with kids with special needs and CPS for years. She said, I so want to champion stories like this. I'm so grateful for stories like this because it it tells the story that I already know to so many of the people that there's so much more going on Mm. in the minds of these children than we realize. She's like, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm talking about. And like, so Cody's story becomes a whole lot of people's stories because it sort of pulls back the veil a little bit because it it is, it's easy to assume that we know everything we need to know about somebody. And I'm not just talking about people with autism or people with, you know, physical ailments. We do this all the time, just in general. Absolutely. We do this with race and gender and wealth and socioeconomic class. Mm -hmm. And in this short little video, it, it does have this way of kind of melting all of our presuppositions that try to elevate my perception above everything. Like, Oh, maybe I got this one wrong. And I I remember like even just driving in here thinking like, what are the ways that I do this in my own Mm -hmm. life where I, I assume I know somebody, even though I really, really don't, I haven't taken the time to get to know them. And I I don't know if it's a very convicting moving, but also dare I say like spiritual, because you look at that room of people just weeping. Why, why would all of those people, strangers all be weeping at the same thing? It's because we're seeing beauty in a really surprising way being manifest and there's something innate in all of us that says yes yes need more more of that i think in the world that's really well put you and i since we started the show maybe the concept we've talked about the most uh is the image of god that everyone is a bearer of the image of god and i think one of the things powerful about it is none of us can like uh do this on purpose but we look at a guy like cody blind and autistic and just see him as lesser than and see him as broken uh and then not because he can sing, but the way he sang reminded you that, oh my gosh, no, that is a loved child of God right there. Just doing something that God has created him to do. Like it was just overwhelming. It was just really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And to see those responses too, from other people commenting on the AGT video saying, gosh, God is good. I'm like, mm. what, what a, what an interesting thing. And I think actually they, they do belong to a church if I'm not mistaken, I didn't see, yeah, I don't but know. just people's response almost innately to like, Oh, wow. That's a glimpse of something other, of something divine. And I think that people responding that way is really powerful. So it's powerful to listen to it like we just played for you. But go look it up. It's everywhere right now. It's flying around social media. Uh, It is well worth the five minutes or so of your time. You'll be blessed by doing it. Well, coming up next on The Common Good, we're going to again highlight a church that is putting their money where their mouth is uh, and doing something powerful for their community. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Uh, you, I almost forgot my name there. It just came out on Brian. That happens, that happens to me like once a week. It's embarrassing. I literally, it was almost like a long... Wait, who again? Who, oh, who, no, I'm Brian. Who's with Ian? No. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's got to be your bowl. Right. <laughs> we'll just pick different names. Uh, anyway, you're listening to The Common Good, I think. Although when I was listening yet back yesterday to our show, you did start referencing other shows so i why and i said common oh, no, ground two days ago two common days ground, ago. didn't i was that last yeah, week and then you had carl claus <laughs> i gotta be honest i audibly laughed listening even though i knew it was coming really? i did that was not even my best work I'm other glad people might not think we're funny but sometimes i think we're funny so i'm confident no one thinks we're funny i think we're funny really yeah that's often, all that matters there have been times i've just audibly laughed it's good <laughs> Good. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, uh, online at 1160hope.com. You can text us at 68683. 
uh, type in CG followed by your comment. Well, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but one of the things we love to highlight is just churches or organizations or individuals uh, who are not only preaching what you and I think are a good message, but they are then putting action to their words. And they're saying, okay, here, we're going to live this out in this way. Uh, and so with that in mind, uh, we want to tell you the story of Concord Church uh, in Dallas, Texas. Their senior pastor is a man by the name of Brian Carter. And every year he preaches a sermon on cohabitation. So people living together, couples living together. Uh, and, and he tells each cohabitating couple uh, basically three what he says are biblically based suggestions to start the process of getting married, to move to separate spaces, but continue to date or to break up. It's basically what he says. Uh, and that's a hard message for people living. Like if you're living together and you're sitting in that church yeah, right. and your pastor goes, listen, you got three choices, right? Uh, get married, uh, keep dating, but don't live together, break up. And you're yeah. sitting there next to your, <laughs> to the yeah, person yeah. you're living with. You're like, uh, where are we going to lunch after this? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's a tough one, but he does this every year, but then they do something unbelievable. Uh, they uh, then offer to pay the rent for people, for one of the spouses to move or not spouses, one of the people to move out and they offer to pay for the wedding. Uh, not a, not a crazy big wedding, but to pay for the wedding. And that's no small amount of money. Uh, they cover the cost of uh, mandatory premarital counseling dresses, tuxedos, and rings. And he says the church would pay one month's rent to help couples find suitable living arrangements. And this comes to about $8,000 per wedding. And church members often donate decorations, flowers, food items, and all of this stuff. And uh, we want you to hear from the pastor here before we kind of talk about this, because I'm convicted by this, by reading this. Uh, I feel as a pastor uh, convicted by this. So this is Pastor Brian Carter. Let's listen a little bit to him. And this is your time now. Here's what I want to do. If you, if you commit today, uh, you will, we'll have you marry in the next 90 days. 90 days, we'll have you married. We'll put you through classes, 10 weeks of counseling to get you prepared for how to, uh, how to honor God and what marriage looks like. And then when you finish that, we'll then give you a free wedding. Free tuxedo, free wedding, free wedding bands, reception, cake, everything. There won't be anything you'll have to worry about. All you got to do is go to the classes, show up in 90 days. You got you a free wedding. Somebody said, man, I wish they'd offer that for me. I could have saved the money. <laughs> <laughs> that's really true. So that's him laying out the program. And now let's listen again to him uh, as he continues to challenge his congregation around this. Here's, here's, here's our goal. Our goal is to give you a pathway into honoring God in your relationship. That's our goal, friends. See, the church is not just about calling up where we're short, but the church is also a place where you can find hope and healing and restoration and redemption for wherever you might be in your life. So if that's your story, two o'clock today in the multi-purpose room, we're going to have a little snack for you. You can drop your children off in child care. You meet me there at two o'clock. We'll begin a conversation and we'll begin to talk to you about how to get this path forward. Like, I just want to hear him keep preaching the yeah, message. That's here. what's up, man. Shoot, I love, I loved that. When he goes on in this uh, this article from Christianity Today, uh, it says Carter's passion for giving cohabitating couples a pathway to marriage stems from personal experience. He shared how, as a young man, he lived with his fiance, and his brother gave him money to move out, encouraging him to honor God with his relationship. And this is what he said: 
part of my strategy has been a testament to my own life of being in the space and needing help to transition out. It's not enough for us to simply preach from the pulpit against mm. cohabitation. People need pathways, help and resources. And that I mean to me, just as a preacher, that that applies way broader than just simply this one specific conversation. But I, I think props to them for, as you said, putting their money where their mouth is. I love just that word pathways is so powerful because how often do we preach messages uh, without the pathways of, all right, how do, how do you, how do we expect our people to be able to live this out? Right. And that concept of pathways is really powerful, but especially in this case where you're looking at people and going, I mean, he's essentially telling them you're living in sin right now. We're going to give you a pathway out of it. I mean, talk about boldness for one and then putting your money right there. uh, And you could just hear the excitement in the congregation. Um, You could hear the excitement of, man, I get to go and we're going to get away. And there's counseling involved with like this is a well thought out thing. And so I told you, you know, before we listened to that, it just really challenged me because I as a pastor I'm not sure how often I've taken the hard step of going, okay, what is a pathway I can lead? I can give my people to make this more likely to happen in their life. Cause he, he would have done his quote unquote job as a pastor just to get up there and, and yeah. give the message about cohabitation. At least by our metrics. Yeah. He would have no, his elders would not have called him and right. been like, that was wrong. Right. That was unfair. Right. But he said, you know what, but I'm going to, we're going to do something to enable you to not live in sin. And man, what a powerful, powerful, it, I, I feel challenged by that. You know, it's it's kind of like, you know, the idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps only works if you have straps to begin with, right? Mm. So, so often I think from the pulpit, and we would never say it this way, I don't think, but all, all that you and I have is our own experiences, right? Mm-hmm. We can do the best that we can to empathize or walk a mile in someone else's shoes. But at the end of the day, my parents are still together. Yep. And they don't have a perfect marriage, but they, I mean, they've modeled so many great principles for us. Principle, they modeled it in ways that they'll never know and we'll never really know as their children. And I didn't do anything to earn that. I was just ra- raised in this environment that kept God at the center, that fought, but fought well, mm-hmm. you know, and not perfectly. And, and that's uh, t- to no credit of my own. So for me to then stand on a stage somewhere and say, hey, you need to prioritize this thing in your marriage or this thing in your relationships. I'm bringing with that all sorts of frameworks and worldviews that I was blessed with and some that I, you know, I'm still working through that aren't as great. But it's so easy to see through our particular lens and assume that's how everyone Mm. sees. That's I mean, the story goes on to talk about people that are like, I've actually never seen marriage modeled. Yeah. Ever. I was raised by a single mom, single dad or multiple different people or I live with my aunt or whatever. Like. From our perspective, it's easy to miss how formative those environments can be to how you understand your current relationships. And so for a church leader to say, hey, I mean, for him to say is actually out of my own experience that uh, that motivated us as a church to make this to make this effort. I just think that that's such a really beautiful way to lead. And he said, after I preached on Sunday, nearly 30 couples came up to me and said they wanted to start the process. Like, how powerful would that be? That's amazing. But also, when we talk about putting your money where your mouth is, do the math. 30 times 8,000 yeah. is, yes. uh, it's like a lot. It's a lot of coins. It's a lot of coins. <laughs> lot of co- I mean, I carry the two. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot. It's like, a, it's like a, yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, that's putting your money where your mouth is. And, you know, you could be like, well, he's in a big church. Isn't that? We've all, you know, it's still money's money. So it still mm-hmm. hurts. And it's still, they could do other stuff with that. And he said, this is an important step. And so we want to cheer on churches that are doing stuff like that, but use it to challenge us as well. 
let that word pathway just even like the abortion debate we talked about before. What would it look like for the church to provide easier pathways for people not to make that choice and other stuff? I think that's a powerful concept. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next, the weather's been crazy across the country. There's been tornadoes everywhere, flooding everywhere. Uh, and we're going to wrestle with that just a little bit. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can find old shows at 1160hope.com uh, or wherever true. it is you get your podcast. You say true. Yeah, I just wanted to affirm you. you I, may, I may put in wrong information to see if I actually listen. <laughs> you can text us at 68688. Oh, that's so misleading, Brian. 68683-68683. That is uh, type in CG, and then you can put in any comment that you've got for us. And uh, we are excited that you've chosen to spend some time with us. Hopefully you're commuting home and uh, you're going ha- to be able to uh, be done with work for the day. So hopefully uh, <laughs> that is where you're heading. So uh, the weather, man, well, you and I joke a lot about the weather. But but in reality, uh, I always get up and I watch the Today Show after I shower. I, get, I watch the Today Show. I enjoy it. And they have led with severe weather probably the last week and a half. Yeah. And uh, it's just crazy out there right now. And we've had crazy rain here and stuff, but the tornadoes and the flooding. It's crazy. Uh, I had uh, my aunt and uncle's house had like a microburst go like down the street and tear up stuff at their house. Um, where I grew up or out in New York City, they're having like tornado warnings in New York City. It's like never happens before. Mm. Uh, but then you specifically read the ones in like Dayton, Ohio and into Indiana and the flooding in Oklahoma and Arkansas. And uh, it, it's overwhelming what people are going through. Like out here, it's annoying. Like it just keeps raining and hard rain. But you're like, man, this is wetter than it's ever been. But to see what's going on across the country is pretty crazy. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, too, because I have uh, some friends from our church named the Gills. I know at least Justin Gill is an avid The Common Good listener. Thank you for your listenership, Justin. <laughs> it's more of a podcast. In fact, I think he is one of the uh, listen to us at twice the speeders. I think oh. that's... Um, Thank you, Justin. <laughs> no, you should say it real fast and make him. Anyway, so so he and his wife are actually um, from this uh, this area. I think in particular Carl Junction, uh, where they've been posting updates, and it uh, it kind of for me illuminated a whole other side of it because they're posting preemptive uh, articles about hey, if, um, this storm is coming, and if you think you may be in danger of experiencing some PTSD from some previous storms. Oh, no way. Like, here's who you can contact. Here's how to go after it. Like, that's a whole other layer. Like you were saying, like, you know, the sky turns green up here sometimes or it gets kind of, you know, a couple of branches. I've even seen, you know, stuff through a car window or whatever, but nothing like the photos and the drone footage that they've been posting this week. And it has it's kind of opened my eyes because it's not that far away, but also like how unpredictable these storms can be. And, you know, Justin was saying literally like it, it was sort of like 
hopping. It was sort of the storm would like touch down and then it raise up again and hop again. And like it was kind of going all over the place. And I didn't even realize that's what tornadoes did. And so like just the unpredictability of like, oh, this this could hit us. It could not. was sort of this like really like visceral reminder that um, the stuff that we find security in off kind of our homes. Right. Uh, in places like this is uh, it's it's risky to live. Yeah. And it does remind us. I think you hit on it right there that we are reminded uh, just of um, the the fragility of life. Right. And where we put our hope. And um, it's just uh, it's it's really crazy because no matter the money that you have uh, or no matter uh, the security you think that you have, uh, you don't. And it's these things that remind us because tornadoes or big storms or flood, uh, they do not, they, they don't look for, you know, they don't be like, oh, well, you make a lot of money, so I'm not going to go by you, but I'm going to go, you know what I mean? They're, they're non-discriminant. And, and uh, I do think, not to over-spiritualize, but I do think it's a wonderful reminder of just, uh, you know, the the foolishness of putting our hope in the things of this world, thinking that we control everything, when in reality, all it takes is a storm to knock it all off. And so uh, that that's a little deeper than, than yeah. it, but, but it is a, it is a it's an important reminder. I remember uh, we had the closest I remember to like a real uh, tornado warning touchdown in my neighborhood on my block. I actually took out some pretty serious trees. And the sky turned all crazy green and dark. And my parents said, okay, we all need to go to the basement. And uh, so we, we stayed down there for, for a few hours. And my mom had like grabbed some junk food and some snacks, you know, on our, on our way down. And we, uh, we prayed and I, being the, the oldest, I remember like really trying to act tough for my younger siblings, but also being like really kind of frightened because yeah. I'd never, I think it was maybe the first time I had heard the alarms and I, it was, oh, the whole experience yep, yep, was yep. very, very um, jarring but it was interesting, though, for like every day for the next maybe three months um, for dinner, my my uh, I think it was the youngest kid at the time, Jacob, would uh, ask to pray before dinner. Mm. And he would say, um, uh, God, would you please send another tomato so that I can eat cheesy poofs? And we're like, okay, well, first it's tornado, not tomato. But he thought, you know, we were eating this junk food in the basement. He's like, oh, the tornado is the reason that I got it's to the eat the junk, junk food. food. Yeah, so I apparently need another. So, like, we joked about that, again, because it just wasn't our reality. But, like, having friends like the Gills and other friends that have uh, lived through these things. Yeah. And not just talking about, like, the terror of being in danger of that. But also on the other side, like the beauty of the community that rallies afterwards, mm-hmm. like there is something about uh, tragedy that brings sometimes the very best out in people. Yep. And some of the stories that I've heard about the rebuilding that's had to be done and stuff that insurance didn't cover. And so the neighborhood just said, all right, well, we're going to build that for you yep. then, and we're going to take time off work and we're going to like there is something about when we all face stuff together that does sort of in the in the best circumstances we see the best of humanity kind of rise to the top and there that is it's a very thin silver lining when you're facing something as scary as this but yeah. I, I i do appreciate sometimes the you know the faith in humanity restored moments or like oh man we do still care about each other i remember uh let's see we moved into our house 10 years ago it's probably seven eight years ago we live in downers grove and again the warnings were going off we went into our basement 
but our basement, it's more like a family room, kind of kind of underground, so you can kind of see still outside. Oh, I know. And it got really crazy dark, hmm. and then wind, and what we ended up finding out later was this thing called a microburst literally went down our street. Yes. And we then went outside, and you could see nothing. You couldn't see our cars. They were like under. They weren't damaged because it was just leaves and branches. They're oh, scratched wow. up a little bit. Wow! You couldn't see the yard. It was the freakiest thing. And this wasn't like a real big tornado. It's a microburst, uh, and our house wasn't damaged. So you know, relatively speaking, it wasn't bad. But I remember being like, "Man, the power of even that thing." Uh-huh. But then what you said, you know, the power of humanity coming out. Like everyone, from, people from our church, from our neighborhood, who had chainsaws came and cut, and yep. and it was really you know helpful. But even that little glimpse of what I can't imagine what it would be to be like an F4 or an F5. Totally. I, just, I can't imagine. So be praying for the people in the pathways of these storms right now. Allow it to remind you uh, that even if you think you're in control altogether of your life, like you've got it all together. Uh, biblically speaking, we know these things point us to the fact that we are not ultimately in control. And uh, and but you did a good job of helping us remind us that also these things bring out the best in humanity. So, so, so what, yeah, what pastoral wisdom would you give? Cause like, again, we're, you know, Naperville, Donner's Grove. Uh, we probably, I mean, we've covered a, a number of really frightening stories, even in the last week. And it, it is one thing to like pray for the safety of somebody else yeah. over there, yep. which can sometimes I think even perpetuate the false sense of like invincibility right here where I'm mm-hmm. at. Like what pastoral wisdom would you give to somebody who's like, yeah, I'll pray for the Christians in Iraq and the people yeah. over in Joplin, but I live in neighborhood. I'm untouchable, right? Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm make a bunch of money, have a big old house, whatever it is. Like what pastoral wisdom without being dystopian. Exactly. See, it's just hard because you, what you want to tell them is like, your time's probably going to come where either sickness no, or guaranteed, right? But <laughs> in the end, people are like, well, okay. You know, yeah. in some ways, it's something that's better learned uh, through experience yeah. than anything else. But it is a reality of life that, you know, sickness gets us or storm. They, they teach us this thing. So, uh, well, before we take a break here, let me uh, tell you about a cool contest that we're doing here at 1160 Hope. And that is this. Greg Laurie, Phil Wickham, Lecrae for King and Country, Ian Simpkins, Marcus Brown. <laughs> you could win the chance to see them all live, or most of them. No one to wants see to see them all live. live this August. Just enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. We're giving away a trip for two to SoCal Harvest 2019 in Anaheim. What? Including airfare, no. hot- hotel, Go on. and a $700 Visa gift card. <laughs> a free copy of Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn's book, Jesus Revolution is yours just for entering. So register now at 1160hope.com slash contest. I'm going! <laughs> 1160hope.com slash contest. Oh, it is off the rails now, people. It is off the rails. Well, coming up next, we are going to get it back together. We are going to talk uh, to Brian and Jeff Becker, who wrote a book about fatherhood and uh, the special relationship between fathers and sons. Uh, and that's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can text us at 68683, type in CG followed by your comment. Uh, well, Ian, since we've done started this show, one of our favorite things is to talk to authors and kind of, because uh, when people write book, it's a, books, it's about things they're passionate about. And yeah. uh, so uh, we're going to do something I'm not sure we've done before is to have 
uh, a father-son duo who have written a book together and have one of them in studio and one of them all the way across the country. So uh, we're going to have Brian Becker and his son Jeff Becker are with us today. Guys, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, thanks for having us here to talk about a really important topic. Absolutely. And Jeff, you're all the way out in Arizona, right? Sunny Arizona. It's about <laughs> 95 and not a cloud in the sky. Okay, well, now you're just rubbing it in. Well, I think, <laughs> I think it's, a, it's a dry heat. I would take it. I hear that all the time. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, Brian and Jeff have written a book called Tender Lions, Building the Vital Relationship between father and son. So it's not just a book about fathers and sons. It's written by a father and son. And I guess I'd like to start there, Brian. Um, kind of talk to us about why you wrote this book in the first place. What's the history even that led you guys to decide to write a book together about father and son relationships? Sure. Well, there were kind of two lightning bolt moments for me. One was about half a dozen years ago, I was working for an organization that was helping to start new ministry, new projects and communities around really tough issues like homelessness, domestic violence, gangs. I'd read a bunch of proposals in one day, all of them one worse than the other. And literally I stood up at my desk, and I don't know if this was my intuition or the Holy Spirit or whatever, but I said, there are no fathers in any of these pictures. Wow. Wow. You know, really bad things going on in communities. There are no dads. And then my mind jumped back to about 10 years before that, and I thought I was one of those destructive dads. No kidding. Mm. That was my life uh, 20 years ago. Wow. Okay, so Jeff, I, I have a question, um, and you can take as much time with this as you want, because in segment two, we're going to drill down into some of the more specifics, but I, I'm just curious, what is it like to write a book with your dad? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten so many, compl- uh, you know, exciting kind of texts and messages from other people just kind of saying, man, I'm so jealous, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm super, I guess, appreciative and blessed to be able to have the time to do it. You know, we were, we were very close, but I think over the last three years of just bouncing ideas and stories off each other's and, uh, you know, we've, we've talked probably more this last year or two mm. years than we have. I mean, and it's just been, it, it's been so cool to, you know, as I look back decades from now, it, it's something that, you know, we can go, go to the grave with and, and be so excited about the, um, kind of just kind of having a, a legacy for, for my kids, for, you know, right. for grandkids and, and, and for generations. Yeah. And Jeff, let me come back at you. Well, your dad basically owned up to saying, you know, he was, I think he used the word destructive, a mm-hmm. destructive dad uh, back mm-hmm. in the day. Uh, what was that like for you? How did that form you uh, in your growing up years? And uh, obviously you guys have a great relationship now. Just curious about the pathway that got us to where you are now. No, absolutely. And it, um, it definitely destructive is a good word. Um, but it came out of nowhere. You know, mm-hmm. my, my father was a, a guy, a man of faith, and he was in a guy in the community helping out and volunteering at the church. Uh, I had a great job. And so for me growing up, I, I, I saw this almost facade that he talks about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as I grew up at 12, 13, 14 years old, as I'm growing into manhood and adolescence and, and puberty, um, you know, for me, as soon as we started talking about the issues that he had, and, and we'll kind of, I'm sure, get into the, you know, pornography stuff. And um, for me, it was like, well, you know, this is kind of normal for me as a teenager and my friends and my buddy talking about the hidden magazines under their dad's mattresses or in their mm-hmm. closets and, um, but now looking back on it years later, uh, it, it takes a 
a very strong, humble, vulnerable person to be mm. able to say, hey, I have an issue. Um, and it's not about me. It's about my, my love and my relationship with my family, my spouse, my kids. That's much more important than any addiction that I may have or problem that I may have. Right. Um, so it's been a, it, it's come full circle and it's definitely taught me how hard fatherhood can be or just mm. being a man. And, um, you know, but, but through a lot of hard work, some great communication, um, you know, we're better than ever, and it's taught me how to be able to communicate with my future, you know, my fiance and my future spouse as well. Mm. So, so as uh, listeners will probably know, uh, I'm a recent father, twice now in the last uh, year and a half or so. So <laughs> I fully intend to cry through the rest of this interview anyway. But, Brian, I'm, I have two, two questions, really. One, before we dive into the specifics, I'm wondering if you can just give us kind of a 30,000-foot view of the, the point of the book and... Um, what you hope to accomplish through it. But secondly, though, and your son was kind of touching on this, vulnerability one-on-one is one thing, but to then put it in print and then like send it out into the universe mm-hmm. is a whole other thing. And I'm curious, after you give kind of this 30,000-foot perspective, what were some of the most difficult parts about exploring a subject matter that is so visceral and so personal for you? Yeah, yeah. Let, let me, some of the listeners might be going, gee, what really did happen? What was really going on there? <laughs> right. So let me step back there. Sure, Because perfect. Jeff mentioned this facade. You know, I had this image of like having my life all together. The reality is, is I had a job where I traveled too much, mm. I was partying too much, I got involved with pornography, wow. I crossed a lot of boundaries, mm. and eventually that all came crashing down on my family. Yeah. And uh, I got to the point where I couldn't stand to look at myself in the mirror in the morning. Mm. And I said, you know what? If I'm ever going to be a person of integrity, my family needs to know what kind of man I am. And so I decided I needed to get honest with them about that, knowing that it would be incredibly hard for them. Yeah, uh, You know, there's this quote that rolls around in my head about how does somebody get the courage to be honest about something they have to get honest about when they know it's going to inflict so much pain on the people that they love. And I just day after day after day, probably a thousand days in a row, you know, looked in the mirror and went, you're not being right about this. Mm. And so I got really simple. I got well, not simple, simple formula, not easy to do. Yeah. Honest with myself and my family. I got help from people who knew more about this than I did and a humble spirit. Mm. You know, emotions can go sky high yes. when things like this happen. And so pride and anger can reign in the family. And so a spirit of humility was really, really vital there. So I'm not sure I answered your question, Ian, but that's, that's what was most on my mind yeah. because that frames what really was going on. And Jeff mentioned this time that we spent together um, because I was getting help. I was going to recovery meetings and I was getting counseling. I'm like, I have got to figure out a way to work through this. You know, I saw Jeff being angry, Mm. rightly so. Yeah. You know, who wouldn't be angry at somebody who like heaped all this hurt on their family? Uh, He was afraid, you know, a teenage boy. His life is turned upside down, you know. And he was isolated. You know, my daughter went and talked to her best friend about all of this. He went to his room and closed his door. Yeah. And being angry and alone and, and afraid is a recipe for problems in, a, in an adolescent boy. Yeah, no kidding. And a lot of them turn towards drugs or gangs or sex or whatever. And by, you know, the grace of God, Jeff had a, a young man who was a new youth worker at our church who's, who, who put his finger on him and said, Jeff, you're not using the gifts you have right now. Wow. And Jeff turned towards hey, Jeff could tell you more about that perhaps but Jeff turned turned towards athletics and it was really uh, a way for him to work out a lot of that um, anger and frustration that's fantastic that's cool. yeah. 
Well, we're talking to Brian and Jeff Becker, a father and son who wrote a book called Tender Lions, Building the Vital Relationship uh, Between Father and Son. And they're going to stick around for our next segment where we're going to kind of dig into some of the ways that fathers and sons uh, interact and some of the important things to talk about. Uh, but before we go to break, you self-published this book. Mm-hmm. So uh, how can people find it? Where can they go? We, we want you to be able to sell some books today. <laughs> so sure. uh, could you point some people to the book? Yeah. Oh, the easiest thing is just find tenderlines.org. Okay. They can find that information about the book. They can go through, click through to Amazon, order the book there. If they're looking to buy lots of books, like if, <laughs> if they wanted us to like speak at an event or something, yep. they can they can contact us and we can help them arrange you know to find a really great price on the books that way. So that's awesome. That's okay. it. Tenderlions.org. You said dot org. Mm-hmm. That's it. Again, we're being joined by Brian and Jeff Becker. Coming up next, uh, we're going to uh, uh, dive into what is it that makes the father and son relationship so important, and what are some of the very specific things that fathers need to be doing uh, in the lives of their sons. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad you're joining us today. Uh, We're being joined again on a second segment here by Brian and Jeff Becker. Really grateful for you guys to stay with us. Uh, Brian and Jeff are uh, a father-son duo who wrote a book about the vital relationship between fathers and sons uh, called Tender Lions. And if you missed our first segment with them, we'd encourage you to go get the podcast. Really talked about what's behind the book. Uh, A lot of own personal story this book is coming out of, which I always think makes for a better book. Agreed. When it's coming out of uh, out of out of their own uh, experience. But I, I would love for you guys, we were talking a little bit off air about uh, just what are some of the results of a fatherlessness? Like what happens in a boy's life when the father is either distant or absent altogether? Yeah, it's crazy you asked that. And, and, you know, this whole story just started as just a father-son, you know, just our personal story. And the more we looked into it, the, the statistics were so eye-catching that we, we knew we had something that we needed to tell our story publicly. And, you know, it, it's crazy to think that almost 33% uh, of children live without their biological father. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and if you think about grades 1 through 12, any you know, some kids in high school um, all the way down, it, it's almost closer to 40% live without their biological father. And that's not even to mention, you know, ones that aren't just emotionally and, and psychologically there for their kids. So. Mm. You know, if you classify that, you know, as a disease, it's almost a national emergency. And, you know, as we look more in, deep, in depth of the, of the stats of fatherlessness, you know, 71% of high school dropouts, um, 80, 71% of teen pregnancies, 85% of kids with behavior disorders, and 90% of homeless or runaway kids is because of, you know, there's fatherlessness within the home. Wow. So it's just, it's, uh, it's, it shows the importance and it shows um, how truly blessed I, I, I was to even have a father figure within my own home. Yeah, no kidding. When I, uh, when I was 13, my dad was really intrigued by this idea of bar mitzvah and was jealous that as Protestants we didn't have anything like that. So he created his own and we had this whole like ceremony, this gathering, and I'll, I still have the letters. He like called men from our church that he loved and we – sat in a room and they poured into me and they wrote me letters. And then I got to be there for all my brothers and you write a, a good deal about two things that I want to hear more about one, 
the significance of like developing rites and rituals with your son, with your kids, maybe in general, but then also the importance of vulnerability. Because I remember being 13, being in this room of men that I had admired, watching them weep at the failures in their own marriages and their own fatherhood. And like that meaning more to me than almost anything else that they did. Can you speak a little bit more to the rites and rituals and as well as the, the vulnerability when it, when it comes to this relationship? Sure. Sure. Well, um, by the way, this is Brian. I'm the dad. <laughs> uh, we had the great gift that I grew up on a farm in Southern Illinois hmm. and numerous times a year, we would take the family to the farm and these rites and rituals, as you mentioned of, of, uh, hiking in the woods, building campfires, helping my dad, uh, like Jeff knew how to drive a tractor hmm. and a scooter and a go-kart and, you know, chase cattle at a really young age that most city kids never even experienced. Right. And he had this freedom and he could take risks. And I just think that it built into him like the spirit of adventure. And uh, my dad was great at building that into me, except my dad was like, vulnerability is evil. Mm. <laughs> men, mm. men don't cry. Men right. don't smile. And he was a <laughs> stoic old hard knucklehead German guy, you know, I was going to say something else there. I had to rein that one back Hope in. for your life. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, and I think that Jeff really caught a lot of that growing up, that spirit of adventure. And That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So the title of the book is Tender Lions. And so I'm wondering where the title came from. What is, what is this imagery of a tender lion? Yeah. Uh, Jeff and I talked a lot about that uh, a couple of years ago. You know, I think that it's essential for it to be... And, this is overlaid, uh, Brian, on top of, you know, what's going on in society yeah. today where uh, a man needs to know how to be tough and tender, mm. strong and soft, emotional and fierce if he needs to be, but know when to be one and when to be the other mm. in order to be in order to be sensitive. I, I think that Jesus was a great example of mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, uh, to pray, to go away, to be silent, but also to like like be fierce and like chase all the people out of <laughs> yeah. all the market people right. out of the temple, you yes. know, to, to do what needs to be done uh, to, for what's in front of you and to maintain your integrity and your character at the same time. That's mm-hmm. really good. All right. So uh, Jeff, I want to hear from you first, but I'd love to hear from both of you about this idea of failure. I remember a couple months ago I posted online. I said, I was, I was getting emotional about being a new dad and things that I wanted to speak into my kids. And I said, at the end of every day, I want to ask them three questions. How are you brave today? How are you kind today? And how did you fail today? And I got all this backlash. Like, you shouldn't ask them about failure. That's not, you, you, you should never ask that question of your kid. And I like, I really felt convicted. I was like, no, I think talking about failure is actually really, really important. I think. <laughs> and again, I'm, you know, winging it. I don't know what I'm doing. So, so just, <laughs> Jeff, I'd love to hear from you first. And then Brian, from you, what, why is failure so important? Oh gosh. I love, I love that you asked this question, especially from, you know, my job and, and I work in the basketball field. So I, I get to teach and preach failure and getting out of your comfort zone on a daily basis. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and I, I think failure is awesome. And I was actually, it's awesome. You say that because I was just listening to a podcast the other day of a very successful CEO. And he talked about the same exact thing that I, at his dinner table, they asked, they don't talk about what did you do today or what they asked, what did you fail at today? Wow. Um, and it's, and it's something that I think that we didn't do at the Becker household, but uh, we definitely had the good family talks. But um, it was, um, I think there's there's three rules of what I talk about here in, in my organization and what I want my kids and my players, whether they're first graders or NBA pros, uh, to go away with. And is one is be comfortable being uncomfortable. 
and we mm-hmm. have to get out of our comfort zone and grow as basketball players, but obviously all of this will translate in, into life experience as well. Uh, and be comfortable and uncomfortable. And then number two correlates with that is don't be afraid to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, if we always stay in our comfort zone, we're never growing as a basketball mm-hmm. player, we're never growing as a young man. And then three is not about failure, but it's just promote positivity. You know, and my, my phrase for my guys is you're either a fountain or a drain. You're either going to bring us life and bring us energy or you're going to suck mm-hmm. it out of us. That's good. Um, you know, and it's, um, I really truly believe in it. I've had texts from fathers of our program saying, hey, you know what? I was doing something today, but I knew I had to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Get out mm. of my comfort zone. So uh, I think failure is, is the greatest lesson, mm. uh, you know, and, and I truly believe there, there's no such thing as failure. It's either you succeed or you learn, um, you know, and it's tr- I think that, that comes from the mindset of, of who you are. That's fantastic. Right. How, That's how, how would you answer that question? So yeah. briefly, two things. One is uh, there's so much in society that's trying to, uh, like, press down on our kids that they're successful if they succeed, if they perform well. Yes. You know, and mm. we're taught as children of God that our identity comes from who we are. I love Jeff because he's mine. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't own him. He's right. my son. Right, right. You know, and the real irony, and that's really evident in the book throughout, is that what I was keeping a secret for so long, down in that darkness, you know, I thought I had to keep that a secret. When I finally found the courage to get that out of the dark and look at it, mm. in the in the roots of the of the darkness and the shame were the seeds were the things that set me and my family free mm, for wow. a healthier future. Wow. All that that I kept secret that I kept for such a long time was actually holding me back from all this future potential. That's awesome. So in the last minute or two here that we've got, I guess uh, someone's listening and they're just, this is like drinking from a fire hydrant, right? Like just taking all the stuff in, uh, give maybe one, uh, takeaway for the dad out there who's feeling like he's not doing great. Maybe he's got young kids like, my, you know, my son is in the fifth grade. Uh, Ian's are like, you know, still in diapers, still running around. Uh, <laughs> like what's just one encouragement or one takeaway or one uh, challenge you would have for the dads out there? Mm-hmm. Jeff, I'll let you take that yeah. first. Um, that is drinking out of a fire hydrant. But, um, <laughs> well, well, there's, I can... there's, there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways I'd want to go with that. But, mm-hmm. but I think the, the thing that I always come back to, especially about the book, is time matters. Mm. Um, you know, the, the importance of spending time with whoever that is that you love. And, um, you know, my, my story, my quick story that I always tell, uh, especially, I don't even know if my dad realized this when we first wrote the book, was my seven-minute burger. And my dad and I would go out and, He'd put the burgers on the grill and he'd start the timer and he had seven minutes, you know, till he flipped the burgers. And in those seven minutes, I was just this antsy little 10 year old, 12 year old saying, Hey dad, let's, let's shoot hoops. Dad, work on my fastball. Dad, let's play catch. Yada, 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 yada. Timer would go off. He'd flip the burgers. He'd press start. We had seven more minutes. But what's interesting is 20 years later, I still vividly remember the exact timer. I remember it's seven wow. minutes. I remember all this stuff, and it was just, it's so important that you have to spend time with your father, your father spending time with your mm-hmm. son. And I'd add to that, dads, you have to be willing to talk about things that make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Failure, sex, relationships, character, and model for your son that it's okay 
to not be perfect. Mm. And then that's what builds trust. That's what helps him see that, oh, I can fail. That's right. I don't have to be perfect. And that's what helps to build those vital, uh, it's like a Jenga game, you know? Yeah, right. You mess up those blocks at the bottom, uh, everything falls down. And those one, that one right at the bottom is called trust. Mm. And so, um, yeah, be willing to talk about the things that, that really matter. That's really oh. good. Well, guys, this has been great. I, I look forward to reading the book uh, as a dad who's got not just two daughters, but a son. So I look forward to it. Uh, Brian and Jeff Becker, they are the authors of Tender Lions, Building the Vital Relationship Between Father and Son. Brian and Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it very much. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Well, you're listening, to the common good. you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Now's the time of the show. <laughs> Why are you turning away from me? I don't, I don't want to look at you. Now's the time of the show where we land the plane, where we, uh, where we share funny stories from the internet. Uh, these have all been with you. These are sight unseen for us, so these have all been found. <laughs> Now you're closing the blinds. These have all been found by Keith Conrad, our executive producer. So uh, if they're insulting, blame him. If they're funny, congratulate him. If they're a little off-putting, that's on Keith. But before we do, uh, you've got something to share with us. I sure do, Brian. Uh, first question. Uh, you know, through the Bible's five-year verse-by-verse study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee, right? I do. Have you been blessed by it? Frequently. Okay. Fr- frequently <laughs> blessed by Okay, so if you have, like Brian has... Let them know how they've impacted your life. You can visit 1160hope.com slash letter. Plus, Through the Bible airs weekday mornings at 5 and weekday evenings at 1030, only on AM 1160. All righty. Will you? I'm going to go first. Oh, I'm okay. going to go for Florida. <laughs> Florida. Central Florida woman finds snakes slithering around an air vent of her car. A Lakeland woman found a snake coming out of the air vent inside her car Friday. WFLA news anchor Jennifer Lee shared pictures of the snake on Facebook. She said her sister found the snake when she got into her car. The snake was captured and relocated the next day. The intruder was a corn snake, a species found throughout uh, southeastern and central United States. The corn snake is harmless to humans, but still freaky. Enough is enough. I have had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday play. Money divided? Is that, what, is that what the edit is? I think it's a money divided plane. That's, That's a weird. Keith, that was on the edge. Have you ever heard of a corn snake in your life? No. Nope. Okay, neither have I. Okay. Uh, I've heard uh, of corn and I've heard of snakes. Right, right. I'm assuming you're familiar combo. with the words in, yes. <laughs> in English. Germany! The country of Germany's never been said like that before, ever. Uh, dove flies in front of German driver's face right as camera takes a picture. Oh, you gotta see this. You do gotta see this. This Man is a in- Prince song, I think, right? <laughs> Who was also very big in Germany. A man in Germany just got out of a $120 ticket. Probably don't use dollars over there. but uh, And he has uh, a little bird to thank. Not for telling him anything, but for flying in front of his windshield at the most opportune moment. Sky News reports on a photo being shared by cops in Viersen, which was taken by a camera designed to nail speeders. The, the car in question was said to be going 33 miles an hour in an 18-mile-an-hour zone. What kind of zone is that? Again, they're probably kilometers. Uh, yeah, right. But, uh, but it looks like the driver won't pay the penalty for this infraction based on what else was caught on camera. A white dove flying right in front of the man's face right as the camera took the photo. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to appear in a tortilla in Mexico. <laughs> oh, we're going to Georgia. 
Delta Airlines is delivering retiring Georgia mailman Floyd Martin on a free dream trip to Hawaii. Yes. For 35 years, Floyd Martin de- delivered the mail to 500 customers along his postal route in Marietta, Georgia. Now, Delta Airlines is delivering for Mr. Floyd. When Martin retired last week, his customers came out to show their appreciation, decorating their mailboxes and organizing a block party. <clears throat> the Atlanta Journal-Constitution did a story about the man. They said carried treats for the dogs, cats, and kids on his route and always had time to stop for a word with folks who were overworked or just plain lonely. But when his customers started a GoFundMe page to send Martin on his dream trip to Hawaii, they turned him into a social media phenomenon. And hometown airline Delta, they noticed. In a Twitter feed, uh, Twitter thread, uh, the airline tweeted, we'd love to take care of Mr. Martin's flight, so they are sending him to Hawaii. When you control the mail, you control information. <laughs> my my brother lived in Marietta, Georgia for a long time, actually. Went to school down there. Wow. I wonder if he knows this guy. I wonder if he uh, gave any money to it. I, uh, no, he probably did. He's a very generous man. Here we go. <laughs> Michigan, my home state, America's high five. Uh, <laughs> Michigan girl's message in a bottle turns up 45 years later. Whoa. A woman who was 11 years old when she threw a message in a bottle from a Michigan lighthouse finally learned of her letter's fate 45 years later. Tina Green, now Tina Green Alera, because she's a performer. No, because she's married. <laughs> she's married. Slipped on a note. I'm just kidding. Slipped a note into an old vodka bottle. Why does an 11-year-old have an old vodka <laughs> bottle? Threw it into Lake Michigan from a lighthouse at Old Mission Peninsula when she was visiting her grandparents in 1974. Green Alera said she eventually forgot about the bottle until recently she discovered a Facebook message she had received in 2015 from a man... Uh, a man from Eric Aman. Um, from a man? From? Uh, it's probably just a typo. Aman told Green Alaire he had found the bottle buried in the ground while working on a construction project a few miles away from the lighthouse. It's just such a treasure, Green Alaire told WJW News Radio. Oh, how nice! Well, isn't that nice? California. Last one. Man lit propane canisters on fire during fight with roommate. Sure. Charred shoes and mangled window panes remained outside a Northern California home Wednesday after a man allegedly set fire to several propane tanks during a dispute with his roommate. Uh, during the dispute, he retreated to the room, closed the door, and the smoke was an indication to the people inside the residence that a fire started. The roommate's parents told the uh, KTXL that argument started when their son confronted the other guy about his belongings <laughs> going missing. He believed the guy had stole from him and told the suspect he needed to move out. Police arrested him on charges of attempted homicide, arson, and criminal threats. And I sell propane and propane accessories. Yes, I avoided that guy's name with everything that I had. <laughs> Smart man. I avoided it. Well, it's been a fun day. A uh, little bit of lunacy, a little bit of fun, but we're glad you joined us today. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.